Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Yeah, um, four boys running around here like crazy. Um, it's it's fun, uh, but it, it actually helps that um, Jason's kids aren't here. So it uh, you know definitely definitely helps. Um, let's, let's try to get this. I got it, and then it didn't want to get. So hopefully, I don't have issues with this. Um, thank you, Tim. I appreciate the opportunity of being able to come and preach, and and um, uh, get it, getting the chance to be with my family when I preach. Uh, last week I was in Waynesville at a Disciple Now. Next week I get to be at Ridgecrest at a Disciple Now. So uh, three weeks in a row uh, being able to preach, and uh, it's it's good actually to be here. And um, actually, uh, when if you noticed uh, when Tim was doing the announcements, the the, the crew up there know him so well. What did they do? They started a timer, right? Like <laughs> I'm gonna we're gonna time your announcements even. Uh, so uh, just a little bit about uh, me. I, I was uh, preached back in November. So if you weren't uh, uh, here then, uh, my, my wife and I, we've been married uh, approaching 18 years now. We do have four boys. Um, I've been in ministry, been a, a youth minister, church planter, a pastor, etc. Uh, and then uh, right now we, we own a business, Ray Alana of Springfield, that's a seasonal consignment event. Uh, uh, a deal that we do twice a year, and then uh, I am a, a, a soccer referee at the collegiate and professional level, and I assign referees here locally at Lake Country uh, Soccer. So we got a little bit of stuff going on in our life. Uh, so it's it's good to be here, uh, good to be able to preach this morning. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about hope. Um, I'm going to ask a question. It's actually going to be an all skate for those of you under 30 that didn't get the chance to grow up in a skating rink. What an all means is that you get to all participate, all right? So uh, you get to talk out loud uh, in church. Yes, it's okay. You can talk back here. Uh, uh, what, what do you get to hope to do in the future? What do you hope to be able to do in the future? Christian. Okay. All right. All right. Very good. What do you hope to do in the future? skydive. Good for you. You know, there's an indoor skydiving in Overland Park. You could like try it out there. That seems safer. <laughs> Reaching out on a limb on that one. What do you get, what do you hope to do? A genetic counselor. I have no idea what that means. So, go for it. If a bunch of people don't know what it means, you know what that means? You'll earn a lot of money doing it. I think there is a raise the animals. Awesome to go along with the genetic, you know, genetically conditioned animals. Yeah. Mechanical engineer. Yeah. To be a singer. All right. Yeah. That's as far as I'll go. For me, I, I, I do hope someday to be able to go to England and be able to uh, uh, watch a, an e English Premier League match live. That would be awesome. Right, Elijah? Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Uh, one of my sons gets to be in here with us uh, uh, this morning. And so a lot, of, a lot of how we use the word hope in our context is actually wishful thinking. Right, we really can just replace that word with wishful thinking. My wishful thinking is that I get to go to England and be able to watch a Premier League soccer match. But really, I mean, that's not going to change my life. It'll be a great experience, but that's not going to change my life. There is a deeper hope 
outside of just wishful thinking context. And that hope is, and really the definition of hope is certainty, certainty that our future will be better than our past or our present. It's certainty that, 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 that my future will be better than my past or my present. And there is always an object of our hope. There is something or someone that, 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 that has, that is the object of our hope. That, that certainly because I have placed my hope in this thing or this person, certainly they will bring me a better future. And what happens when that better future doesn't come? Our hope, our hope turns to disappointment. And if that happens too much, our hope turns to disappointment, turns to despair. It turns to hopelessness. It turns to stuck. I don't know where to go next or get out. Or you even just give up trying. And then, and then, to put on top of it, what if you, you, you're like, yeah, 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 I thought my hope was God. I thought my hope was God. I thought my hope was in God, and I thought I was following him. I thought I was listening to him, and I've been praying, and I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, and it keeps getting worse. What happens then? You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I mean, you know, you know, we're supposed to say God is good and God is good all the time, right? And like, what, what if you're saying there, that's not my reality. We're going to be in Jeremiah 29 to start with. You can follow along in a hardbound Bible. You can follow along on the screen. Also, I put an event in the YouVersion app. So you can look up events in the YouVersion app, let it uh, do your location, see your location, and then you'll be able to, to, to follow along there as well. Because... There were people disappointed with God, in despair because they thought, they, they, they were praying, they thought they were following God, but it all just kind of came out from underneath them. You know what's interesting, if you do a word search on hope, the number one place you'll find the word hope is Psalms. The number two place you'll find the word hope is Job. The number three place you'll find the word hope is Jeremiah. The three places where we find the most hopelessness, the three places we find the word hope the most. See, Jeremiah, he wrote a book called Lamentations. Basically, Lamentations means weeping and crying. How would you like to be the one to write, be in charge of writing the book? Weeping. We call him the weeping prophet. And see, the nation of Israel saw themselves in a difficult location. Jeremiah 29.1, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. See, we see that we, if we've been in church and we, we've, we've heard the King Nebuchadnezzar, and we don't understand that, that, that King Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked, evil, bad, nasty king. Like take those medieval times or, or, or farther back movies or TV shows that you watch and, you, you, and the, 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 the character that's the worst. Take him, take him that's, that's in those movies, in those TV shows that's the worst. Those guys look like saints compared to King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And they would come in, Babylon would come in, they would rip open pregnant women's bellies just because. They wanted to put fear, ooh, that was fun, fear into people. And not only did God allow Babylon to take over Jerusalem and Israel, but God ordained it. It's a pretty tough theological situation, right? It doesn't fit nicely into our nice seminary theology class. The people of God were in despair. They didn't know what was going on. They were stuck. And then on top of that, they, they were taken, the best and the brightest were taken into exile, into Babylon. The closest thing that we have today would be if North Korea took over America and, and, and exiled you, deported you to North Korea in order to learn the North Korean culture so that you can make North Korea better. Or a few years ago, Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Or a few years before that, Russia and the Cold War. A few years before that, in Germany and Hitler. That's what we're talking about. That's the feeling, that's the feeling that the people of Israel have. Aren't you so glad you came to church this morning? So cheer, chipper and cheery. But catch this. There is no hope without death. There's no hope without death. See, God keeps talking to Jeremiah. He's got a message for the people that are in exile. 29, verse 4, this is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. And all the grandparents said, amen, right? Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. What happens when all is hopeless? What happens when you find yourself in despair but you want to walk back into hope? First of all, be faithful where God has put you. I mean, we painted a picture of what Babylon is like, and then God tells them not only go and buy homes, go and have families, go and have children, but not only that, he tells them go and work for the welfare of that city. Wait a minute, God. Babylon is everything, is everything that is anti-Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar is everything that is anti-Yahweh. What do you mean work to the welfare of their city? You mean you want me to make them better? What do you mean pray for these people? Are you crazy, God? Well, maybe. Because what were the prophets and fortune tellers telling them? 
You don't need to do that. You're not going to be there that long. Just go hide. Get your own self a little, little Israelite ghetto and just hang out together. Maybe they were telling him also, be a little subversive. You know, if you, if you do some kind of bad things to the Babylonians, God won't mind, right? I mean, they're pretty evil. God is worried about your comfort. God's worried about your comfort. He's not going to let that much bad things happen to you. That's what the fortune tellers and the other lying prophets told them. But God said, don't listen to them. Listen to Jeremiah. Work for the welfare of your city. Be faithful where God has you. Be faithful to the people that God has you around. See, in today's culture, what that means is, what do you mean? What do you mean pray for President Trump? What do you mean pray for President Obama? I didn't vote for them. And God says, yeah, and? How can you be a Christian and work in that administration? The only problem with that is the Bible. And what, Jeremiah, what God is doing through Jeremiah is this. He is setting up the New Testament way God's people would operate in the community. They would no longer be a nation state anymore. Now we are a holy people, which means we are set apart for God's unique purpose. We are a people set apart for God's unique purpose in the middle of all these other people groups. And we work for the welfare of our city. And we work for the welfare of our community. We work for the welfare of our jobs. We work for the welfare of our schools. We work for the welfare of our teams. We work for the welfare of our neighborhoods. We work for the welfare of our community. Why? Because God. Because faithful. Because faithful to people. Because serve. And we be faithful to God where God has put you. See, we can put hope in the cosmos. We can put hope in the created order. But it's only the created order. It can never, it can never give us what we're longing for. We can put hope in substance, relationships, work, money, food. Usually no amens there. We can put hope in this created order that God has given us as a good gift, but it's never intended to be the certainty of our better future. Be faithful to God where God has put you. Maybe we're faithful to religion, but not God. We're faithful to showing up we're faithful to doing the right things. We're faithful to checking off the boxes, but we do not have a relationship with God. That was the Pharisees. That was the battle that Jesus and the Pharisees had in the, in the, in the, in the Gospels. Religion was never to be our hope. Be faithful to God right where he has put you. Twenty nine ten. This is what the Lord says. 
you will be in Babylon for 70 years. You know what God is telling the people that is reading this, that is hearing this? You will not see freedom. Life expectancy would be around 40 or lower. You will not see freedom. But then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you. See, this is the the coffee cup verse that we put on our T-shirts and everything. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And it gives us warm fuzzies ripped out of context. But really what God is saying is that I'm going to send you to the worst possible nation I could send you in for 70 years. Warm fuzzies. Right? But I do, I do have a plan. I do have a plan for the nation. Remember, he's setting up, he's setting up now 700 years before it's ever going to happen. He is setting up New Testament living. Think God's got a plan? You think God's got patience? In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I send you and will bring you home again to your own land. Why? Why be faithful where God's put you? Because we have to trust that there is something bigger at play. You have to trust that there's something bigger at play. What do you say? In 70 years, in 70 years, I will bring you out. I have something bigger at play here. There's something bigger in your life at play than the situation you find yourself in that's leading to despair. See, we read the Bible in silos, Jeremiah. And then this book, and then this book, and then this book. See, God is telling his people, this is what it's going to look like in the future. That there is no nation state that is represented with me. This is what it's going to look like in the future. And then Daniel is the living expression of this. See, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this they are the living expression of what God is telling Jeremiah. How to live, how to live in the middle of an anti-God people group and serve them, serve them well, but then when it goes too far, go, yeah, not there. Right? But then we read in Daniel chapter 9. Catch this. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Asherus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from the reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet. It's most, most likely reading the passage we just read. 2,700 And he read it. 
And he read that Jerusalem must lie in desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. He started doing math. He was like, wait a minute. It's about time. It's about time. It's about time. So he started praying. But Daniel was a man of prayer already. Remember the lion's den? What sent him to the lion's den? He prayed three times a day. Right? He prayed three times a day. See, I think more than what, more than, than God saying, in 70 years I'll show up again, which he will, and, and, and bring back his people. More than that, what he is telling the people in, in, in Jeremiah 29 is that when you pray to me in Babylon, I will be there. I will be there. Amongst that people group where you think there's no way that I will be there, I will be there listening to you. And then Daniel chapter 9 is a fascinating prayer. I encourage you to read it. We're not going to read all of it. But we get down to Daniel 9.20. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. Other, other translation says, for you are dearly loved by God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Gang, we can, we can hope in the, in the most difficult of circumstances because we trust that there is more at play. We trust that God is working beyond what we can see. And if you find yourself in despair right now, God is working in bigger ways than what you can ever see. And God sent an angel. I mean, he didn't send just any angel. There's two angels named in the Bible. Well, three. There's Lucifer, but we'll, we'll just kind of set him aside for right now. There's two na angels named in, in, in the Bible, and he sent one of them. I mean, this is big time, right? Daniel, God hears you because you are dearly loved by him. Maybe you have a hard time seeing that for yourself because you go, yeah, that's Daniel. That's the prophet. That's the guy that, you know, you know the lion's den, like they kept their mouth shut, like the flannel board. Yeah, 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 that's, 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 that's for Daniel. We'll come back around to that. There's something bigger at play. See, what, what Gabriel told Daniel was that, yeah, yeah, 70 years. You know what? There's going to be 70 weeks. And at the end of the 70 weeks, I'm going to send the Son of Man, the Messiah the Christ, the everlasting king in the line of David. I will bring the perfect, spotless lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. See, there is always something bigger at play that God is doing. Maybe you're hopeless because you've put your hope in the cosmos. And it has shifted underneath. There is a Savior who came in order to wipe all of that away, to take all of that destruction and heal it. Why is there only hope and death? 
because you can only be resurrected if you're dead. Right? You can only be resurrected if you're dead. And we have hope in Jesus because he came out of the grave three days later. He predicted his own death. He predicted his own burial. He predicted his own resurrection and pulled it off. I personally am going to have hope in that guy. And if you're sitting there in despair, there's no hope without death because there's no resurrection without death. The fact that he raised from the grave means he will certainly give you a better future than your past or your present. It may be difficult. It may be tough. It may not look like it. it may, there may be all these voices telling you, no, 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 no. But he will. How did he prove it? He busted out of the grave. There's nobody here that's literally dead. Right? No weekend at Bernie's going on here. You might be spiritually dead. You might be metaphorically dead. And right now, I don't know where to go and what to do. And there is no hope without death. And there's no resurrection without death. Our hope is in the risen Lord and Savior who died in order to give you life in your soul. It's a living water. It'll never run dry. And it will always flood your soul. There is something bigger at play. So how do we get this hope? How do we get this? How do we clean? How do we, how do we make this hope, this certainty of a better future, that, that we rest in Jesus? And how do we get this? Before the destruction of Jerusalem, Jeremiah's ministry was, guys, this is coming. Guys, this is coming. Guys, this is coming. Repent, repent, repent. Turn around. Get back to God. Turn around. Get back to God. This is coming, but he's giving you a chance. So in Jeremiah 13, God gives Jeremiah a living parable. What a living parable is, a parable in the New Testament is a, is a story with a, with a point, right? A story with a, with, with, with a, with a point. And, and, and what a living parable is, is that, is that the, the, the people are actually living this out. Several prophets did this. Isaiah did this. Uh, Ezekiel did this. Hosea certainly did this. Jeremiah did this. And in Jeremiah 13, we see one of these living parables, all right? You guys are going to love this. We'd see one of these living parables. And so God told Jeremiah, go buy a linen loincloth. In today's world, a linen loincloth is underwear. Whitey tidies, right? Go buy a linen loincloth. Wear it, don't wash it. Fellas, don't go to your wife and say, God told me no. He didn't. Unique to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah wore it, didn't wash it. A little bit of time later, God told Jeremiah, go up to the mountain. Jeremiah went up to the mountain, take off the loincloth, put it in the cleft of the rock. I could use another C word, but we're already gone to underwear, so I won't say, you know, where he put it. But you could say that, you know, Jeremiah gave the mountain a wedgie, but... Jeremiah put the linen loincloth in the cleft of the rock. 
and went about his business. And then sometime later, God told Jeremiah, hey, you remember that linen loincloth? Jeremiah was like, well, I kind of forgot about that, but I do now. Go get it. All right. Jeremiah, what do you see? It's dirty and useless. That's exactly what the people are to me right now. But it was not supposed to be that way. As a loincloth clings to a man's waist, so I created Judah and Israel to cling to me, says the Lord. How tightly are you to cling to God? As tight as you whitey tighties, all right? They were to be my people, my pride, my glory, and honor to my name, but they would not listen to me. How do we get this hope? How do we get this certainty of a better future? How can we have all of this going around us and we can be in the pit of despair or should be in the pit of despair, but we still have hope because we are clinging tighter to God than what our underwear is to us. So fast forward to the New Testament. Some of you have never memorized a Bible verse, but you're going to, by golly, you're going to memorize this one. Fast forward to the New Testament. I'm going to use some little bit of, you know, sanctified imagination here. Right before the Last Supper, Jesus is praying to God. Again, this is kind of imagination. Jesus is praying to God, and like, this is my last chance with the guys. Like, what do you want me to tell them? How do you want me to prepare them? I think, I think God's probably up there going, hey, why don't you use the linen loincloth thing? That was pretty good. Dad, no, I can't do that. Maybe Jesus and the Father had some of these dad moments, right? Like, right? Dad, I can't do that. No, 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 that's a good, that's gold. That one, that one was gold. Like, you got to use that one with the boy. They're going to like that. No, I cannot use that. That's going to be awkward. Cling to me closer than underwear. Like, that's not going to work. Like, you, you, you use vineyards in the Old Testament. You use that metaphor. I'm going to use that metaphor. No, use the loincloth. No, I'm going to use the vineyard metaphor. Jesus used the vineyard metaphor. John 15, 4, remain, abide in me, and I will remain, abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you abide in me. And then verse 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain, abide in me, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. To the extent that your hope is in Jesus, to the extent that you cling to Jesus, is to the extent that you believe that last sentence. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you sit there and say, you know what, I've been able to do some pretty cool things on my own. I'm not sure why I need Jesus. Your hope is not in Jesus right now. I'm not saying it can't be, and I'm not saying it can't be five minutes from now, but right now your hope is not in Jesus. But if you say, yeah, 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 oh yeah, my body, God has created me in a certain way that I can do some pretty cool biological things, but my soul, my life, what God has put Put inside of me. I cannot do anything apart from Christ. That means your hope is in Jesus. That means you cling to Jesus because apart from me, you can do nothing. I actually like the word marinade better than even abide. Maybe because I like steak. But I like marinade. Why? Because marinade tenderizes, juices it up, right? Juices up the meat. Gives it seasoning and spice. When we marinate in Jesus, it tenderizes us. It juices us up. It seasons us. It gives us spice. Marinate in Jesus because he is your hope. Cling to Jesus.
That's how in the middle of hopelessness, we can still have hope. How can we have hope? Be faithful right where God has put you. Know that there's something bigger at play. Romans 5, 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. When difficulty comes, we can rejoice. What, Paul? We can rejoice when difficulty comes? What? Are you crazy? For we know that these trials help us develop endurance. There's something bigger in play. He wants to, he wants to build your endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. God is building your character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Why are you going through difficulty? Why are you in the pit? Why are you at the bottom? God is trying to build hope inside of you. A certainty of a better future that, that, not, that's not built on whatever you can see around you, but that's built on Jesus who resurrected from the dead. Who's trying to build your hope. For we know how dearly God loves us. This isn't for Daniel, this is for you. How dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. It is in the wilderness that we actually experience more deeply his love. Do you have confidence that your future will be better than your past and your present? What have you put as the object of your hope to get you there? Everything will fail except for Jesus. He's the only one that proved it by resurrecting from the dead. God has something bigger at play in your life than just what's going on right now. Do you trust him? And there's something bigger at play for everybody else around you as well. Let's go back to scene number three. Daniel chapter 4. God made King Nebuchadnezzar crazy, insane, absolutely insane. He started acting like an animal, eating grass and all. He took pride in what he built. Look at all this stuff that I built, and boom, God made him crazy. Towards the end, well, at the end of this, however, in his animal state, he looked up and said, I've been bad, I'm sorry, you know. God restored his mind instantly. Daniel 4, 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. I believe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. But what you just said. Is God faithful to forgive, or is he not? We got some religious people that's going to split hell wide open. But Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, will see. There's something bigger at play with the people around you. New Testament, Peter says it this way. 
Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope, if someone asks about the certainty of your better future, someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. We use that verse in apologetics, right? This is why you need to learn apologetics. This is why you need to learn the truth. This is why you need to learn a bunch of facts about Jesus. That's not what this verse says. What hope do you have in Jesus? Why do you have him as the certainty of your better future? Be ready for that. You don't have to know a bunch of facts about Jesus. Only fact you need to know about Jesus is how he has given you a certainty of your better future so that everybody around you who has put hope in the cosmos, hope in the cosmos, hope in the cosmos, in this created order, and everything's falling apart around them, and they look at your life and go, you haven't tried to put your hope in all the things that I've put my hope in, but yet you seem to be rock solid. What is going on? You say, it's simple, it's Jesus. And you don't have to wait for the invitation from them. You can see that their life is falling apart and go, look, my hope, my certainty of a better future is in Jesus. And Peter tells us, this is important, Peter tells us to do this with gentleness. Not with anger. Not with, I'm right. But with gentleness. Who's going to listen to you if you're not gentle? Right? It's a hope that is silent. Where's your hope? Where's the certainty of your better future? Where are you at right now? Jesus is the one that resurrected that we know, so that we know we can have a better future with him than anything else. Let's bow and close our eyes so that we can focus in on what God's working and doing in our hearts.